Welcome to the Mobile App Makers Podcast, the podcast where I interview mobile app creation experts from all disciplines so we can learn from them. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'm with Jeroen Williamson and Sven Schreiler. They're both great engineers that have worked on the mobile application security checklist and testing guide. And Jeroen is a principal security architect at Zebia who has been helping out Sven for a while with the mobile security testing guide. Sven, on his end, has been working in multiple roles and doing a lot of penetration testing and is now a security architect. He was part of the original group who reactivated the OWASP, and he'll be telling us what the acronyms actually stands for a few years back, and now he's supporting the project as one of the leaders. Sven, do you want to start and introduce yourself a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So originally I'm from Germany and already living now for six years in Singapore. As you were saying, at the moment I'm a security architect and five, six years back when I was still doing a lot of penetration testing, one of my colleagues was actually looking for something to do mobile app testing in a little bit more structured way. And as there wasn't really much of a methodology, he started back then the OWASP MSTG project and I was supporting him back then. And yeah, that was five years back and we come a long way since then. How about you, uh, Jeroen? Do you want to tell a bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure. So Jeroen Willems from Netherlands here indeed. And I think it was also about five years back that when Bernard and Sven were revamping it, I heard about them revamping the project. So we met up at this conference, I believe. Uh, what was it called again? I can't remember the name right now. But the cool thing was basically... Open Security Summit. Ah, yeah, the Open Security Summit. And back then we, uh, well, I basically tried to help out uh, ever since then to uh, get it back on the road, make it as transparent as possible and do the project a bit differently than the current, than the OWASP projects were being done back then. So that, uh, yeah, we I think we were one of the first guys in Git actually, which was pretty cool. But more about myself. So yeah, I'm a principal security architect, which in case of me in terms of Xebia means I'm a consultant. I help security teams CISOs or DevOps teams to actually get a bit more secure, basically. Awesome. And I'm sure we'll learn more about what that actually means in the next few minutes. So when we were talking last week, you guys, we talked about process and security. And one of the things that you said was really important was the threat modeling process when you're creating the app. Can you tell a little bit what is a threat modeling process and why it is so important? Okay, so basically threat modeling is boiling down to four different questions, you could say. They're more or less um, being done by um, Adam Shostak, who's one of the main people behind threat modeling in general. And the first question is, what are we actually building? So this means you should have some kind of visualization of what you want to threat model, meaning some kind of diagram, which can be your network structure or maybe also um, a use case that you have defined for your, for your mobile app or for a web app. And then once is everybody on an agreement of what we actually have here and what we want to build, the next step is to identify the different kind of threats and asking the question, what can actually go wrong and, and answer this question. So identifying the threats cannot be done in, in various ways. So obviously when you are, have your diagram, so let's take the example of we're creating a backend in an AWS, we'll have some kind of server, which is an EC2 instance, there might be a load balancer, there might be a database to store all the data, there might be an S3 bucket. So once you've connected all of this together in, in your diagram, then you will automatically identify different kinds of threats. What happens, for example, if the um, server is as a denial of service attack or that the service is not there anymore? 
or if data is not encrypted or the communication is not encrypted. So there will be a lot of different kinds of threats that, that can be identified in this stage. And then in the next stage, it's clearly about how can we mitigate now these threats that we have identified. So this can be now if there's just an HTTP connection, HTTPS might solve the problem. Can we actually encrypt data also on the machine itself? All of these different kind of things. Or even um, already a mitigation might be, do we actually need the data that is stored on the server? Maybe it's just giving some exposure that we that we don't need. Last but not least, it's about validating also everything. And this means, did we do a good job about this? So that you're just verifying, is everything that we have done here really enough in order to, to fulfill this purpose that we're going through this whole exercise. And this is something that should be done regularly. A threat model never stops. So when you start with it, this will be an ongoing ongoing effort. And maybe just one thing to add, when you're identifying threats, usually you should base this also on some kind of threat modeling methodology. So one, for, one of this would be, for example, Stride, that is just trying to guide the whole process in, in the right direction to think about different kind of aspects like the availability, like well, what if there's a denial of service? What if there's information disclosure? So that you have some kind of guidance to go through when you try to identify all of the different threats that might be in the system that you want to analyze. I'll make sure to ask you offline for a, a link that is uh, reasonably good for Stride so that we can put that in the show notes for uh, people to look. Jaron, is there anything else you want to add to that? Or do you fully agree with Sven's answers? So I mostly agree on what he's saying there, definitely. Of course, in terms of threats, always look at the risk that is involved. As in, hey, it's if something is unencrypted or something seems like there might be something of the communication, always ask yourself, can somebody intercept that? And what does that mean? It also means that we often in a threat model would like to not just invite the technical people, but also the non-technical, the business owner. Because if something is breaking, how bad is this actually? And as techies, it's easy to say, oh, it should never break because we're proud of what we're building or securing. But it might very well be that you as the budget owner feel like, well, at least I get in the news of this. Let's do this. Let's break it down right now. <laughs> so that's something that we, uh, that we experienced over time, that the amount of effort in the security controls can really be balanced a lot after the threat model outcomes in terms of what you really need if you involve business timely. Uh, actually, AWS, and maybe that's good for the show notes, created a beautiful uh, blog uh, about that recently. And that's really good to follow up upon. And when, you're, when then after this blog, your security guy comes along to ask you to join us, don't hesitate. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. One of the reasons why I connected with you guys a couple of weeks back was because you have worked on the MASVS, if I got the acronym right. I'll sort of question to your own. Can you tell us what it stands for and what it actually is? So it stands for the Mobile Application Security Verification Standard. That's a long mouthful <laughs> for basically saying it's a checklist of controls that you want to implement on various areas and depending on the risk levels involved. So if you did your threat model, you know how important your application is. And then based on that, you know how big the risks are involved in terms of the data needs to be protected or the access protection. And based on that, so two levels of uh, controls. One is the basics that everybody should do. Consider them your security hygiene. The other one is your defense and depth that you select based on the threat model. And next to that, there's a reverse engineering set where you basically want to make it harder to reverse engineer the application. But that's, of course, something you should only apply the moment you're really sure that you have to protect some IP in there or that you did something else not so very clever, which means that, well, some secrets might be in your application that you want to obfuscate. But let's hope you never end up there. So why the long acronym? So it's OWASP already has a beautiful ASVS. 
and had some mobile parts in there. And then basically we split this off the ASVS because mobile by itself deserves a little bit of a different type of attention. Because let's just face it, mobile device, mobile application security is a bit like, um, it's a bit different than web application security if it comes to the implementation of things. And, you know, one thing I wanted to say is I'm a developer by training. I've worked on a lot of applications and I've, you know, thought in the far distance of my brain about security, but never really paid too much attention to it. And then for a client of mine, a couple of weeks back, I did a mobile audit where I look at their code base and give them recommendation on things to do. And so that's when I picked up the OS checklist. And I was actually fascinated by how many things you guys have in there and what are all the things that you can do to improve your app and make it secure. And also the fact that I think most developers, you know, I've never thought about those. And so it like those really apply to everybody to at least open their eyes and make sure they think about their app and what needs to happen. How do you guys, if you're not a technical person, if you're not a developer, how can the people still use that checklist or or the book that you guys have written to help the project that they're running? I mean, for this, I mean, I think it's basically going back also to the threat modeling that we were discussing earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of the threat modeling, it's always about, of course, you need to have your, let's say, your hacker's hat on. And you need to be aware of all the different kind of things that can go wrong from a security perspective, which is, of course, hard to, to, uh, hard to have. For, for a developer because it's simply a different um, um, skill set also. And then for this case, also the MASVS can help to fill the gaps and get some guidance also around the, the threat modeling also. So therefore the MASVS is definitely something that can be used as part of the threat modeling also. So again, I mean, a threat modeling will never be finished, but at least it can give you some some guidance in terms of what kind of things you might want to focus on. And uh, how do you convince the dev team? Like if you're not, you know, the developer and you're just managing the project, how do you convince the dev team to take the time to do the threat modeling, to review the checklist and um, fix potential issues or even look for those issues? I think that starts often with ownership. For instance, if you're building an application, you want to be proud of that, you want to put it on your resume, you want to create something with quality. And then security is just one of those many qualities. I mean, sure, it has to look great and it should be responsive and it should have this awesome feature that makes you proud of, hey, we thought of this and we made it happen. But at the same time, it can be very nice to actually be part of that team that says, hey, we didn't just make it look nice. It's actually secure enough and people start believing in it and want to use it. So that's one thing. But ownership is really a culture thing, right? And it's not like as a security guy, you can all of a sudden change the culture at an organization. That's not, that's not, yeah, that's basically not our core quality, uh, so to speak. But what can also really help is basically engage with the developers in the early stage and explain to them what you require from them in terms of security as uh, part of a security requirement set. As in, hey, we want to make sure that we end up with something, or at least the business wants to end up with something that's supposed to be secure enough. So let's make sure we together try to establish what that means. Because often, if you go to a management team, they'll be like, yeah, we want to produce something that doesn't get us legally into trouble. <laughs> or you want something... Requirement number one. Exactly. Or you want something that is just secure enough. Of course, we all know about those businesses that actually went the other way around for various arguments. But let's just focus on those that actually, you know, take this route. Then at some point, this becomes a little bit blurry. Because what does that mean? When is it okay? What is the risk appetite of the MT itself? That's a bit hard to establish from time to time. So then it's much easier to, again, involve them as well in such a threat model and start understanding what do we really need to do. Because the worst thing that can happen is that once you release your first version of the application to the wild, you're continuously summoned to start doing all wild sorts of bug fixes after. 
and knowing that that will be one of the roles you're going to have if you didn't anticipate security in your process, that's often already by itself a bit motivating for developers to at least start working on stuff. Anything you want to add, Sven? Um, yeah, maybe just a few things to add. So, I mean, what is always one thing for the dev team is when they are coming in touch with, with maybe the MASVS or MSDG. I think it's still when the pen test was executed for them because for a lot of development projects, security is still not really being built in. And then obviously, um, usually they might be overwhelmed with the terminology and what is actually being done. And therefore, the MASVS and MSDG can also help a little bit in terms of to clear the confusion around it. And just just to give a starting point, because back in the days when, when Bernhard and me and also Jeroen, when we were working on this project mainly, a lot of things were simply not clear, meaning is things like a root detection, a missing root detection or vulnerability or not? Because I could see back then that a lot of people, a lot of pen tests were simply raising these kind of things. But the question is, of course, is it actually a threat to my app and should I really implement something? And if I implement something like this, does it really have any purpose for us also? So meaning from one perspective, it's definitely driven also through pen tests. On the other side, if the development team and the organization already has the time and is being proactive, then the MASVS can definitely be helped to, to create this kind of baseline and think through the whole requirements if these are now applicable for us or not, because not every app obviously needs to have SSL pinning, jailbreak detection, all of these fancy features, but they should have a base level of, of security within their app. But what this base level is, this would need to be defined by the organization themselves. And if they simply have these kind of things available and they say root detection, jailbreak detection, this is not really our concern because of XYZ, we have thought this through. And the pen tester is coming and saying, you have no root and jailbreak detection, then they can simply say, yeah, it's, it's fine for us. We, we just accept the risk and case closed. And then, then we have a clear understanding around it. One word that you've used multiple times in the answer is pen testing. Can you briefly explain what that is? Yeah, sure. So penetration testing means basically to do, um, again, get the hacker head on and really try to break the application and see, get a holistic overview of the vulnerabilities that there might be in the mobile app, but also in the API endpoints. So there might be that different kind of vulnerabilities available that a tester can check then. And this will then be compiled into a report and the developer or the team will then be walked through. And the pen tester usually should also give some advice on of what should be done. So there are a lot of different vulnerabilities available and it's usually mapped to everything that is in the MASVS, these requirements that we're having. And there are then actually fully technical test cases in our other project, which is the mobile security testing guide. And this helps the penetration tester to execute a test because it gives clear guidance of what should be done, but also gives the visibility and, and transparency to the developer of how things are done and also some guidance of how things can be fixed. So this is, I think, where also the gap can then be closed between the pen tester and the developer and where it's, again, can, can give some guidance to both parties. Cool. And question that just came up is, is it better to have somebody on the team do the pen testing or is it better to get somebody from outside of the organization or is it just a trade-off between the two? I think actually that's a trade-off. If you have somebody on the team that already somehow tells you that you that there has been money involved to you know to to take care of risks in there, which means that there's possibly an application you're building that has higher risk. If that is not the case, you 
possibly might not want to have an internal tester because testing your marketing app, I'm not sure how much that guy or girl will have to do. <laughs> so um, depending on the risk involved, basically will be, the, will be the answer, right? But having somebody generally in the team that can help you a lot with, you know, testing continuously and also explain what he does and what the results are. And if the developers pick that up, start doing some of that stuff there themselves, then you already can create a beautiful baseline. So for some development teams, we saw that they started picking up on that. They did it themselves. And when we started then, or we or another hired an extra, another external party than ourselves, of course, to then test it, then they passed the flying colors. Some of those teams actually didn't because security by itself can still, although the MSCG is there, the MASVS is there, be pretty complicated. So having an additional verification step can help a lot. But then again, it's better to have such a thing as an, as an additional control, right? Because whatever the internal guy thinks or whatever the developers are looking for, it still might be that you're interpreting something differently and that you're not seeing everything. So having a fresh pair of external eyes can then again be very beneficial. As a project owner or as a team, what are things that can be tackled in the app and would be like quick wins for a mobile application to improve the security? So I think it starts with doing the basic stuff right. Like do not overwrite anything that comes on the network level. So make sure you start with the stuff that's already offered by Apple and Google to just set up a TLS connection, uh, use that well. And the moment you actually see warnings and documentation about that something can be unprotected, then just don't do that by, by default. And use storage correctly. So Apple and Google already supply APIs on how to store stuff securely, how to encrypt stuff securely, how to implement stuff like biometrics correctly. Just follow those. Don't reinvent the wheel yourself. Don't start to do funny things, but make sure you just follow common routes, basically. So if you start with having your data secure properly, as in when you store it, store it in the right places. Uh, if you still need to encrypt it, make sure you use the controls offered by Google already. That's a bit more complicated or by Apple in that sense. Uh, and make sure that you secure data in transit enough, at least by making sure that everything just goes over TLS without overriding things if you don't have a good reason to do so and get your authentication in place correctly. So make sure that uh, you don't just authenticate locally, but that it's also do something against the server, basically. Then you already have a lot of the basic hygiene done. Then there is a long list of things you should do after, of course, but those already involve, well, you need to be quite knowledgeable of what you're doing. And it's a bit more work. It's a bit more research from time to time. Luckily, the MCG can help, but it's basically the starting point, I would say. Okay. Any other thing you want to add, Sven? Yeah, maybe sure. So there might be maybe two more things that we can also add into, into the pipeline. So when the app is being built, um, I mean, one of the basic things that, that is usually a quick win is um, scanning dependencies. So there are a lot of open source tools and also, of course, a lot of enterprise tools that allow to scan dependencies um, in your app, but also, of course, in your in your APIs that you are creating that the mobile app is communicating with. These are usually quite easy checks to implement and they have a lot of, um, um, so they do not have much of false positives, meaning the vulnerabilities that are being are identified are actually real vulnerabilities that should be sorted out, usually by simply upgrading the library. But this gives a great visibility because a lot of the components that are being used are, of course, some third-party components within within the mobile app. So there are different kinds of tools that allow you to do a very basic audit to get an understanding if there are already some known vulnerabilities in the libraries that your mobile app also your API is using. So these kind of things can even be integrated into the pipeline. Another thing might be secrets. So of course you need to have API tokens, maybe a lot of other secrets that might be 
part of your app or maybe part of your um, deployment also. And this is definitely something that should never be ending up in your code. I mean, it also shouldn't be ending up in your mobile app to have any any secrets. This would is also something that is then, of course, a requirement in the MESVS. But of course, you cannot only deny things, you also need to give solutions. So one solution might simply be to use some kind of vault solution or anything where developers can store their secrets securely. So um, a vault solution or something in your um, CI server, like in Jenkins, this this would allow also to store secrets securely that they're not um, ending up in your source code repository because this is something that you do not want and it's also a bit tricky to remove then at the end of the day. So these are, I would say, maybe another quick wins that you can implement um, in your in your pipeline when you're building the mobile app or the APIs. Awesome. And if our, if our listeners want to learn more about mobile app security, is there a place they can go that is approachable to start? I mean, there's definitely the um, our project itself. So the OVAS mobile security testing guide and the OVAS MESVS. So both is on GitHub available. So I think Jeroen was, uh, was saying it already earlier. So everything is in Markdown. And the thing is that everything is, of course, transparent as we have it on GitHub. So people can simply read it. People can give us suggestions, simply create issues. And they can even connect with us directly in OVASP Slack. So we have our own channel in, in OVASP Slack. You can get all the informations in our readme in the in our GitHub repos, and this will definitely help to get started. I mean, I'm not saying that you should read it from uh, beginning to end, because it's a quite big document that we already have created. But um, I think it's definitely handy that if you have a very specific problem, like if you want to explore what SSL pinning actually is and how it can be implemented for Android or for iOS, then it's definitely a good resource and will get you up to speed pretty quickly, I would say. Maybe a nice thing to add there, as many listeners might know, uh, OWASP is a volunteer organization, so Sven and I are volunteers. Well, well, while I was helping, Sven was a volunteer, that is. And there's always new security challenges coming up. So there's always new APIs to discover. There's always new stuff that you want to know more about. Sometimes for some people, reading up on something is a good way to learn something. But for many people, sharing knowledge is actually way better or doing research. So at GitHub, we have quite a few issues open regarding new security APIs open up on the platforms or regarding certain functionalities or other things that you should take care of. So if you feel like, hey, I want to learn something by research and actually make it useful for the world, go ahead, take a look on the issue list. Try to get one of those issues assigned to yourself. Start the research, start writing up. There's a pretty nice team at OWASP that governs the MSCG in that sense that will help you out with reviews on your on your pull requests and stuff like that. And overall, it's an enjoyable thing to do and it can actually help to boost your resume status in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a call for all the developers out there to come help. We'll make sure to uh, add the link to the GitHub repo so that people can find it. If our listeners want to follow you and we'll start with Van, um, if they want to follow you online or learn more about what you're doing, what, where can they go? Definitely on Twitter. I can also share the link for this and also via LinkedIn. And if they want direct connect, they can just um, go to our Overs Slack channel. Um, I'm definitely also around there and can just ping me there. Happy to follow up. All right. How about you, Jeroen? Same thing. Of course, a little bit different URL would be nice to, you know, <laughs> use the ones uh, required for my profiles, but otherwise exactly the same thing. Always Slack is a great place to be and also to uh, ask questions directly to various experts, actually. All right. Well, we'll make sure to add that in the show notes. Well, thank you very much uh, for both of you for joining me today and uh, have, a, have a great weekend. Thanks for the invite. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure indeed. Thanks for listening to the Mobile App Makers podcast. I'm Olivier Destrebeck. 
You can find more info on building mobile apps at mobileappmakers.chat.